Phil so graciously prayed about this morning. And uh, there's some space on there for you to make some notes. There's some things that you want to think about and pray about during the rest of the week as we get uh, get ready to, to leave this place and, and to be salt and light in this community. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, on behalf of the angry people in our church, and on behalf of the people who are at times the recipients of that anger, we pray for the open ears and the open eyes to do all of the necessary work with the teachings of the Christ about what life in this kingdom is all about. We pray to be courageous and we need your help. We pray to be brave and we need your help. We pray to be honest and we need your help to do so and to be so. But thank you, Father, Thank you for this text. And not only for this text, but the means by which the text might become alive in us. And this is what we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. You know, uh, there are times in life where you seem to be more susceptible to humility than other times. And one of those times was when I was in high school, the junior year of uh, wrestling for the high school was over. All of us that were returning the next year thought that we had a chance to go undefeated in our senior year. And so we had committed ourselves to, to practicing when we could in the off season. There was an old carpet warehouse not far from where we lived in Bowie in Crofton, Maryland that a couple of nights during the week, we could roll out a mat and spend our evenings working and staying in shape and uh, teaching each other new moves. One night, uh, a fellow by the name of Lloyd Kieser, who won the silver medal in the 1976 Olympics uh, in Montreal, he showed up for our workout. Now, uh, here's a picture of Lloyd Kieser up on the screen. He's executing an ankle pick uh, on his way to winning an Olympic silver medal. And so this guy shows up about two years later at our carpet warehouse on our mats. He had heard that we were working out. He had wrestled at the Naval Academy. He was from the state of Maryland, and he just wanted to show up and wrestle with us. I took one look at that guy. <laughs> and I'm a junior becoming a senior in high school which means I'm not thinking at all. And I say to myself, silver medalist, not gold? I got this. <laughs> and so we start wrestling around on the mat and, and you know, we're doing stuff and you know, he's going, I didn't know it at the time, I mean, he's only in first gear and I'm in fifth and, and just going after it. And then he realizes, because he was a young man, but he comes to the realization, that I am not showing him any respect whatsoever. And in uh, one of the most graceful, elegant, 
beautiful, seemingly effortless moves I would ever see on a wrestling mat. Lloyd Keezer threw me across the room. <laughs> and the last thing I remember seeing was a beautiful smile on his face as I went over his head. When cognitive function returned to my brain and breath to my lungs, I realized that I knew wrestling moves and I could execute wrestling moves, but I lacked grace. Too often, religious people can know the Bible, they can do the Bible, but there's no grace. Mechanically following rules without a relationship that is deep and abiding can create a joyless, unhappy, humorless, harsh, frowning Christian portraying a God who is the same. And then we wonder why nobody is attracted to that. This is the issue with the Pharisees, quite frankly. They know the scripture technically. They do the scripture technically. But there's no heart. Because there's no grace. There's only an ugly, off-putting self-righteousness. And Christ comes to the point quickly as he talks about the kingdom of God life in light of Phariseeism. And he says in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5 that I, I tell you the truth that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter. You will not enter. Not enter. Not enter. Kingdom of heaven. What he is saying is that righteousness in the kingdom of God goes deeper and wider than just technically. Jesus of Nazareth, God's only begotten Son, comes into the world and he brings with him the kingdom of God, the offer of the kingdom of God, the best offer that a human being is ever going to receive in this life. It is a life of blessedness. It is a life that is received through grace. Which means that the kingdom of God comes into your life as a gift. It is a life that encounters a power that changes human beings from the inside out. Kingdom people become salt, stopping the decay in the world around them by just showing up. Kingdom people become light. The light of God's kingdom that drives away the darkness by just showing up. And when Jesus begins to teach and explain how life is salt and light is lived, he plunges into the guts of human existence. Where there is destructive anger and there is contempt, there is at times a dehumanizing lust, relational mayhem, verbal manipulation, revenge, greed, punching people in the face, suing them, cursing them, and life in general within us. It's not the life of soap operas, but it's life in boardrooms and office cubicles and classrooms and locker rooms and bedrooms and courtrooms and other words where places that they are the places where people interact with each other and the places where relationships are on the line. And Jesus begins with the list of areas in life where scripture has been left in the shadow. 
and needs to go deeper. He says, you have heard that it was said by the men of old, but I say to you. And in the first section, he says, you know, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are at the altar offering your gift and there, remember, your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to the court. Do it while you are still together on the way to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the officer, to the judge. The judge will hand you to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger, simply put, is a response to something wrong in human life. We see an injustice, it is right and healthy to be angry. When we see a malicious act, we should be angry, and that is right and healthy. But anger can. And I don't think that I have to go into some kind of a dissertation or an argument to prove that anger at times is not constructive at all. When it is constructive, it should go away. But when it is destructive, it doesn't go away. When anger becomes the leader of the emotional pack, it becomes dangerous. Anger turns dangerous when it becomes the will to harm another human being. Tim Keller uh, tells uh, uses this illustration from time to time where he says there is an oak tree that is contained in an acorn. And if that acorn is given what it needs to grow, it turns into something huge and gigantic and, and seemingly indestructible. Murder is just an anger seed that got what it needed to sprout and grow up. Mass murder begins as a kernel of anger. And every point along the anger spectrum tries to diminish the abundant life that Christ brings into his kingdom, or brings with his kingdom, into your life and the life of another. So in this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount, we have a principle. And the principle is this, anger as the will to harm is incongruent in the blessing-rich life of the kingdom. Anger-driven Christians are as incongruent in the kingdom of God as medical doctors handing out poison. It's as incongruent as firemen that are handing blowtorches out to three-year-olds. And it's not just the teaching of Jesus. We find words, inspired God words about anger throughout the Bible. A couple from the New Testament from the hand of Paul. He says you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger and rage and malice in Colossians 3. In Ephesians 4 it says, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give whom? Who? Who is he talking about? The devil. Do not give the devil a foothold in your life. 
And James, the brother of Jesus, says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because anger, human anger, the destructive human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And Jesus knows that there are more ways to kill a human being made in the image of God than just technically murdering. He says, you got to deal with that anger. Anger. This is where your thoughts become malicious about another human being. You, you wish to do someone harm because they have crossed your will. And you're not going to get your way. Or it's not going to end up the way that you want it. Or the expectations are going to be disappointed. And you become filled with malice in your heart. Most people that I know in this life have a list of people. They have faces that in their mind's eye that they want to punch. Second one is rocker. This word is thought to derive from the sound of someone clearing their throat and collecting spittle to spit in the, someone's face. I'm not going to demonstrate. <laughs> You're welcome. That's free. Why does Jesus mention Raka in the context of murder? Well, if you have ever lived in the presence of a human being who compulsively spits, you know that before they do that, they always make sure no one is standing there. And this is why spitting on someone is just so full of contempt. It's a way of saying, you don't matter. You don't exist. It says, I'm looking right through you. I'm indifferent to your existence. I hold you in contempt. That's what happens when you spit in somebody's face. And then he says, even fool. You say fool. The word that Jesus uses here is literally the Greek word moron, which is not the first time that he's used it in this text. He says when salt has lost its saltiness, that it has become moronic salt. Question. Doesn't Jesus, as well as other places around the Bible, speak about foolish people? Yes, doesn't Jesus even refer to a foolish man who builds his house on the sand at the end of this very sermon? Yes, again. But remember the context of anger as the will to harm someone. You can murder a person's spirit by getting, getting them to believe that they are worthless. You can make them contemptible to themselves. You can, you can murder a person by killing their confidence in themselves, which just happens to be the dagger of choice of mean middle school girls. This is the blade angry husbands stick into the wives of hearts. This is the sword that angry parents use to pierce the hearts of their children. And disciples of Jesus are called to deal with anger in themselves and in the world. One of the things that I appreciate about brothers and sisters who are a part of Alcoholics Anonymous is this unbelievable honesty in which they approach it. Much more honest people 
than you would typically find in pews. Because alcoholics know that there is more to overcoming their illness than just sobriety. Where their addiction might be swapped for something else. And in this teaching, Christ says that murder cannot be swapped for garden variety, malice or contempt or confidence, killing. What Christ brings is an essential knowledge and power into our lives in order not to just sober up from our anger, but to recover from the anger that will harm another human's body or spirit. And so he gives a couple of practical suggestions. The first one is deal with the consequences of anger. Be honest. Jesus gives a test case for how kingdom people deal with the consequences of anger. You're at worship where your mind is being flooded with prayers and scripture and songs of praise and you're gathered around a table. And there you remember in the middle of worship that there is a brother or a sister who has something against you. Jesus says this is so important. That you close the book and you put it back in the hymnal rack. And you go and you reconcile. And you notice, it doesn't say who is at fault. It just says, you know that there's something between you and this other person. It doesn't matter who started it. What he's saying is that you, as a person who has been crucified with Christ, have the ball in your court. You have... You have the decision, you have the opportunity to do what Christ does and to make reconciliation where there is no peace. You don't do worship until you do reconciliation. And then he says, you choose love, not murder. Do you know the best way to keep weeds out of your lawn? You know, I tried for years. Just go out there and pull those little dudes out. And they just, you, know, you just don't get the root or, you know. You know, the best way I've discovered to keep weeds out of your lawn? Do a great job of growing grass so there's no room for the weeds. You remember that passage in James? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Because the anger of God does not bring about the righteous life God desires. You develop a righteous life. You train for godliness. All of those things that you're learning in in your Bible classes, you begin to put into practice as training to become a godly and a righteous person. A person in whom love will begin to blossom. And so Jesus says, and it's audacious. And it's not for the weak-hearted. But Jesus says, you're headed to court with a person who is suing you. He's trying to harm you. And even while they are trying to bring harm to you, a disciple tries to settle the issue. To not go to war, but to choose love. Which doesn't mean that you don't protect yourself, but because of love. The response is not the will to harm, but the will to reconcile even an enemy. Because not reconciling leads to bad things happening in your life. It is an audacious and challenging way to live in the world. And at times it seems 
impossible. But remember that you are dying to sin in order to be alive to Christ. We walk the path of recovery from anger, and for that matter, all other sins, not alone, but with God's Spirit, who is the power to come into your life so that Christ, not anger, may dwell in your heart through faith, that we might grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Humans were not created to hate, but to sing and to shout, Hallelujah! When Christ felt the lash and the nails penetrating His body, He did not cry, Father, murder them all, but Father, forgive them all. And we say as His disciples, whose lives have been crucified with Him, in order that while we still live, it is Christ that lives in us. We say as His, as his disciples, in the world as it is, with all of the anger and all of the, the malice and all of the contempt, we say, enough of this madness. Let our anger be replaced with the love of Christ. Let our malice be turned into the ministry of reconciliation. Let our contempt be turned into the prayers of peacemakers. And may the love of Christ be like salt and light in every room, every place, every spot, every house that we enter into. For the sake of God's kingdom and the glory of His name. Let's stand and sing. Unknown of why God's wondrous grace to me
we want to pray for Randy Skipworth as she was traveling to Hawaii this past week. She slipped and fell at the airport. Uh, the MRI, x-rays, and all those tests revealed that she has a fractured kneecap. And so, as you know, they're in Hawaii and visiting grandchildren and we're going to be traveling back and to not be at home and to deal with that, that pain is a miserable thing. Let's remember Randa in our prayers. Linda Lanford for Logan, Sean, Brian, my great-grandson who has decided to give his life to Jesus in baptism. Also for me as I move to Kerrville to be near family in early April. The Densons for their daughter Caitlin, prayers of Thanksgiving for Caitlin's unplanned surgery. The procedures went smoothly. Chris Cuevas uh, writes, Flora Cuevas, my paternal grandmother, passed away Friday night in her sleep. She would have been 101, 101 years old, on April 1st. Arrangements right now are ending. So we want to remember the Cuevas family as they grieve in our prayers. Uh, today is Teresa Marks last Sunday. Teresa, where are you? Right here. We've already said goodbye to Jeff. We say goodbye to you and Godspeed. Thank you for every blessing that you guys gave us during your time in San Antonio. Thank you. Also, we want to remember in our prayers Henry and Christine Astorga. Uh, this past Thursday night, uh, Henry's nephew, one that he was exceptionally close to, 21 years of age, Mark Anthony Astorga, passed away from some health issues. So we want to remember Henry and Christine and their family in our prayers. Seanette uh, Brandt would like for us to remember Samuel Strawbridge, third grader, is home with strep throat and pneumonia. Also, her husband Jason is going to see an orthopedic doctor tomorrow, praying for answers to relieve his pain and to control his blood pressure. Gail Wilkins for June 4, sister-in-law. She had a stroke on Friday, but the last CAT scan and MRI show no signs of stroke or damage. Praise God. Everett and Vicki Heiston for Fred Curry, Sr. Fred was taken to the hospital early Friday morning as a result of a collapsed lung. He is currently in ICU. Please pray for his recovery. His family is requesting no visits at this time. Karen and Kimball DeMint for Darby Cook, for Darby to find a new place to live that meets her needs. Karen Hensley for Susan Barrett. Her sister, Susan, has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Veronica Skye. Uh, I need prayers for depression and to find a job and to get closer to God and to not feel lonely. Teresa Woodson for the Ward family. My friend David Ward lost his father last night. I ask for prayers for him and his family at this difficult time. Josh Lawrence for a friend and co-worker, Stephanie Sisko. Uh, she was admitted to the hospital this morning after experiencing severe digestive issues and pain. Uh, she is in a, a lot of pain right now. Please pray for test results to find a swift recovery. Lori Brown for Courtney Thompson. Uh, prayers of Thanksgiving that Courtney and Team USA traveled to, uh, to Abu Dhabi and have safely returned. You may uh, have already seen this, but this girls basketball team going to the Special Olympics in the uh, Arab Emirates uh, placed uh, second and won a silver medal. If you see Courtney, she's got her silver medal with her this morning. That's awesome. We're very proud of you. Let's stand for our last song, and let's sing praise to God. I know not when my Lord may come back.